invest in daughters, sisters, and wives. They're gonna change our lives in women, in girls. They'll make a better world. Invest in her. Now here's your host, Catherine Gray. Welcome to this week's episode of Invest in Her. I'm your host, Catherine Gray, founder of She Angel Investors and co-founder of the She Angels Foundation. And as you know, we are all about how we fund women. And that's what my two powerhouse women are about today. Yes, we have two guests today. I want to introduce you to the founders of the Masters Fund, Jillian Musig and Ann Kennedy. Hi, ladies. Hi. Hi. Pleasure to be here. Uh, you know, I've told a couple people I was having you both on and they're like, both of them at once. They're amazing. <laughs> I was just, yes, yes. We've got this powerhouse couple today that uh, has started a fund um, that is um, really focused on women run businesses. And, you know, we're seeing more and more funds come about uh, that are female founded. So I'm loving that. But you guys were I think among the first, you'll you'll have to fill us in on the journey to doing this. Um, you both have such amazing backgrounds, so I want to talk about that. I just want to mention it's called the Sabia uh, Masters Fund and who Sabia Masters was, because I just mentioned you two in an article I did for Project W uh, about women inventors and yeah. how, where the world would be without their inventions. And I love that you picked that name for your fund since she was literally the first inventor in the country, right? That is correct. Before we were a country, she was the first inventor. And whenever we say that, they say the first female inventor. I said, stop modifying it. She was the first inventor to receive a patent from King George. And that was in 1715. Yeah, which is amazing. And yeah. then they said, I read that they had her put it in her husband's name because a woman couldn't file for a patent. Is that That's true? Right. She had no choice to put it in her husband's name. The king yeah. did so. And it was her husband, Thomas Masters, who insisted that the patent would read to Thomas Masters for an invention found out by his wife, Sibylla Wrighton Masters, including therefore her maiden name as well. And but for Thomas, her name would have been lost to history. So okay. our line is really that it takes both to make this right. Yeah. She made him a wealthy man. <laughs> right, right. Wow, that's a great story. Thanks for Everybody sharing. <laughs> yeah, that is, at least it was a progressive guy back then. <laughs> he was extraordinarily progressive. She left four children in his care while she sailed off to England for three years to pursue this patent, and he took care of the children. I mean, it's an extraordinary story for its time. Absolutely. I didn't even know that part of it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, you couldn't fly back and forth, you know, it took a while. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about, um, I do want to talk about uh, the Master's Fund and how you all started it, why and how it's focused on women. Yay. Um, mm -hmm. But I also want to talk about your journeys to getting there. So um, I know you all are coming to us from Seattle today. Um, but where did your journey start? So and I know you have this amazing background in digital uh, SEO, like you're one of the pioneers in that arena, help put uh, some major Fortune 500 companies even online. Uh, I think it was Dunkin' Donuts, right? And uh, uh, several others, um, you know, so what was your journey and how did you two meet to start this fund? Jillian, I want to mention that you're the president of... Um, 
Outline Ventures Group and have been for a very long time. So I want you to each, you know, take a turn and, and share your background. So a little bit. Um, Anne is the president of Outline's Venture Group. I'm the CEO over there. So it's just oh, our group together. It's really okay, just the two good. of that's us. That's great. <laughs> but that's just the two of us. But um, I was the co-founding uh, co-founder of Moz. And so that's the digital marketing software company. Anne was to services as I was to software in the world of search. So Anne, tell them all about it because you were there before I was. And I was. You wrote a famous book as well. I, I did. Um, and I wish I had thought to bring a copy to hold up. <laughs> um, I, I, was, I founded my digital marketing agency, Beyond Inc., before there was even Google. I founded it in 1997. And the reason that I did that was I had um, several decades in marketing communications. And if you know anything, and especially public relations, and if you know anything about marketing communications and public relations, it's all about understanding the target market and understanding the media. And if you wind back and think about how websites were being done by large enterprises in 1994, they were done by the IT team and very badly from a communication standpoint. So I said, I've got to learn how to do this. And it very quickly became apparent that um, although we did not yet have Google, we had Yahoo and AltaVista, and I don't know, I, I can't remember all of them now. Um, that, yes, I remember them. Yeah, um, but we, uh, it became clear that the way that you get noticed online is by ranking in the search engines. And that opened up a whole new world of how do we do this? You know, I'm a, I'm a communications nerd. And I said, how am I going to do this? And the fun part, and um, apart from meeting Jillian, because we were working parallel. She was doing software and I was doing the, the agency services. And by the way, the one we launched that everybody knows is Zillow. And uh, we launched them. Uh, they came to us before they'd written a drop of code. And so within four weeks, they were ranking number six for real estate or the other way around, six weeks, number four, I forget which. But um, that's our biggest score was, was Zillow. She did that together. That was a joint. And that was my company. Oh, that was your company. Yeah. But meanwhile, because this was such a new business, a new industry, um, we there, we had to teach each other. And there, there were no courses about this. And there still are very, very few. And so we had to teach each other. So a great group of conferences grew up, PubCon, Search Engine Strategies, uh, 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 the, uh, just a whole bunch of things that Danny Sullivan was doing with his newsletter. And we all we get together and say, well, I tried this, what happened? And one of the people I met along that journey was Jillian's co-founder of Moz and her son, Rand, who is a genius. And, um, and she, he introduced me to Jillian and I liked her right away. And we've been friends now for what, 12 years? Um, we've been in business for two weeks. We're not that old. It just happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we're that old. <laughs> it's been a wonderful journey. Ten years. But, um, yeah. Along the way, I did form the largest international consortium of small agencies like ours and wrote a book about international search engine marketing, which is what it's called, global search engine marketing. And the idea is that um, you have to have local influence, local speakers, um, native speakers, local feet on the ground to do the job properly. You can't just fire stuff at other countries and expect it to work in search. So meanwhile, um, both Jillian and I came to a point in 2011, I think 2012, right after I published the book. 
And we both had what's known as a happy exit. It meant we could step out of the businesses we were in. And we already knew we liked each other. We spent a lot of time running around the world um, together at these conferences and speaking. And so we said, let's do something together. Take it over, Jillian. <laughs> you yeah, did. I love that. So we did. <laughs> we did. We started a little, I don't know, a consulting business so we could run around the world and visit our friends. And that was great. But I think <laughs> the telling piece about what Anne said, it, what was in her book, you needed local speakers to make a local difference, to move the needle, to get you to an international, um, if you will, a, a customer base and so on. In other words, small changes to get to a massive change. And it had to be targeted. And that's essentially what informs our work today. What we often say is it, the money must come from different hands and move to different hands. Mm -hmm. It is foolish for us to think that, if you will, a small sliver of the human genome, the tall white men with baritone voices and dark t-shirts and sport coats and blue jeans in these offices that will have you come in and pitch to them on Sand Hill Road and uh, Boston, New York, et cetera, right? It is foolish for us to think that this tiny group of humans can understand every problem, work with every founder, be comfortable with every management style, and understand how to bring value to everything. Nonsense. They do very well at what they do. Total now, nonsense. I actually looked at yes, the uh, deck you have on your, um, on your, I think it was your LinkedIn or your site, and yes. it was saying the... Um, Assets and Attributes of Successful CEOs. Yes. And I noticed you put the assets were mentors, peer networks, and relevant education. Yeah. And then you went over to attributes and you said humility, high risk tolerance, pri privately creative, mm -hmm. uh, in good shape, um, learners, seekers. And then as a joke, you put in that you had to be white male and six, about six feet tall. <laughs> it was very funny. I, cause I'm reading yeah. through it thinking it's all serious. And I'm like, ah, it I is said, That's funny. But not quite. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it is funny, really not funny. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we all know 98% of capital goes to guys and 2% goes to the women. And then there's a small piece in between where it's men and women and so on. But in that men, women thing uh, where they say, oh, 15 or 16% is now going to such teams, the guys, the CEO and the gals, something else. Uh, so it, it's kind of a, a misnomer there. If 98% of that capital is going to guys, it's important to also to note that that 66%, two thirds of it or a little more will go to what this funny little line of stuff is about, tall, white, American spoken, youthful, slender, able-bodied males from Harvard or Stanford, just two universities in the entire world with a baritone voice. And <laughs> everything, including the baritone voice is points off if you don't have it. Yeah, that's crazy. That's why I'm so glad you all started this fund. And let's talk about when you started it. I know it's gender lens focus. Let's talk about what that means to the average person. Um, and that you really focus on funding female run companies. What does that mean? And I take it, you're, you're, I think you're really focused on tech because of that being your expertise and background, right? In general, yes. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. So what we have is, um, yes, a gender lens investment fund. In its broadest definition, gender lens means bringing the concept of gender to whom, uh, who runs the show is, is important, but who will it serve and how will it affect all genders, not just one, and so on. So it's a gender lens brought to the investment process. In other words, the due diligence process, the decision-making process with an eye to bringing a serious ROI to investors. And this is in the public sector, the private sector, from hedge funds to, I don't know, uh, managing your uh, equities portfolio over at Morgan Stanley, right? Including, of course, the private sector. That's one. We look at it um, in a fairly tight definition. We say we require that there is at least one dominant female in a position of strategic and operational control. In other words, she has a C-suite title and she has a board seat, okay? duly appointed and compensated, please, because if we don't say that, they are not. And you would be amazed at how many we get that are not. <laughs> so we have to say, hey, go back to the drawing board, either this works or it doesn't. And that's exactly the issue we're facing. Um, and that's been a really good winning formula for you, right? Because when a woman is in that position, it doesn't have to be that she's the only person, but uh, it really does affect the success of the business. It does. And I'll throw out a few more stats that are a whole lot of fun. Um, women get the 2% of capital, but when they do, right, they will then raise 66% less capital than the men. Let's look at that from an investor point of view. As an investor, did you just tell me 66% less dilution? Every time you raise a buck, I get diluted. So I like that. And they take one to two years less time to exit. Well, time is a risk factor and a cost factor for investors. What else could I have invested in? And how long do I have to tie up this capital while it's not earning something else in order to see my return? So one to two years sooner? I like that. And when they do, women have consistently returned an average, not mean, but average of 35% higher ROI to their investors over more than a quarter of a century. Now, that's impressive. It, yeah, you'd say it's not a rounding figure, right? right? Correlation is not causation. But after a quarter of a century and more, I'd say we start taking a look. Right. And and I heard that you have a different strategy than a lot of funds where you're really focused on the company building their profits and not being so laser focused on going public or an exit strategy. Is that is that true? That's correct. We, we focus on uh, revenue positive companies. We can capitalize companies that are ready to scale. In other words, go to their series A and B and C and have an exit and so on. And we can capitalize companies that are non-scalable, even services companies, because our investment model is a redeemable preferred model. It's a warrant. It looks very much like a convertible note or a safe, but we get onto the cap table and we get off the cap table. In other words, the entrepreneurs are able to purchase back that investment warrant. Mm. We buy it and they buy it back at a profitable rate. We don't ask them to do so immediately. It's not a debt instrument, although it operates a little like one and it operates a little like equity. We come onto the cap table, we're equity there. We put in a small amount of capital at the moment at this early stage, just as the product hits the market. That means we have that first product market price fit, somebody agreed to pay you. Now we amplify and refine that with the entrepreneur. And when they reach the goal of the next level of revenue coming in per month, 
then we say, all right, you've reached the target goal. Now look back one month each month and take a single digit percentage, which again, we adjust for each company according to their gross margins and so on. And with that, they begin to redeem the warrant. They buy it back. And with this process, an entrepreneur at the early stage, um, well, we know that they have to hand out the largest amount of stock for the smallest amount of money at the earliest stages because that's when it's worth the least. With this, they're able to take that uh, stock, put it back in their pocket, and recapitalize it if they're going to do it again. They can sell it, if you will, to a later stage investor at a higher price. By the time they're buying it back from us, it should be worth two and three and four times. And we're happy to let it go. Our investors, our LPs, limited partners, our investors are interested in earlier and steadier returns. And we return venture scale returns at an earlier, steadier rate in this process. Wow, they that's impressive. Wait for the whole exit. You it's know, a game to wait for the exit. So serious the, risk mitigation. That's great. And here's a perfect example of just how a female founded fund is run so differently with such a different mindset. That's so important to the whole investment world that there are these women founded funds like yours, the master's fund. Um, and do you want to jump in there and, and, you know, give us an example? Cause sometimes people get confused with all the terminologies, but like, can you give us an example of, maybe one of the companies you got behind and um, and how that how that worked, how you built it up, bought it, let them buy it back. Now they're sailing. Do you have like an example of that? We have uh, invested in five companies. We have a couple more in the pipeline right now. Um, our first initial fund is to prove our concept. Think of it as an MVP, which is a roundabout way of saying they are still on the way up. Uh, we just had one, um, our very first investment, just close a very, very nice follow-on investment to uh, help them get where they need to go. And what surprised us, we use a very um, inter inter intricately constructed model, financial model to determine using a company's five-year projections when they could begin to redeem their equity. And we thought when we went into this, oh, it'd be you know, 36 to 48 months, something like that's when they'll start, fine with us, uh, we can do that. And three of our first investments look like they're going to start redeeming in as early as the 14th or 15th month and be done by the 17th month. Now, to be sure, several things have to happen in the plan, such as raising the additional capital to expand what they need to expand to make that happen. But part of our job is helping them do that. Um, another important thing that we bring to the table are what we call executive advisory, where we, at the stage that we uh, engage with these companies, they're generally just about to form a board of directors or they have a very small one. Now, what usually happens in the venture capital world is the conventional VCs will say, don't bother, don't bother your pretty little head about that till we're on board. Well, what does that mean? That means that then the VCs run the board and have control over the CEO who serves at the pleasure of the board. And we have seen too many cases, three or four out of 10, where the women are replaced with the tall, white, 30, you know, <laughs> baritone voice guy who went to one of those schools. And we think this is um, not good for the risk of the company, as Julian was just explaining. You know, our kind of an, um, 
investing in women is a risk mitigating factor. So right. that is how that works. The second, um, the second part of the, uh, that we bring to it besides the advisory services is the ability to when they redeem, we can reinvest. And that means that our investors capital gets recycled, which is, it doesn't happen in conventional venture capital or in angel investing because the capital is tied up until there's an exit. So what we are, attend, what we are doing, because we care passionately about this, um, looking at all the companies we've worked with over 10 years in our consulting business, we are passionate about teaching women to take and hold on to the reins of running their company. I love that. I mean, who, who better than they, if they started it, they had the idea, they had the concept. I'm glad you let them take the ball and run with it. And then it's also a good play for the investors. Uh, sounds like a much quicker turnaround and um, just a, a, a more solid, like you said, risk mitigating uh, uh, approach. Um, we do need well, more angel investors, just so you know, it's good for some investors. It's good yeah. for high net worth individuals, for small private family offices, right. even small institutional capital, massive institutional capital invests in uh, kind of one of the top 24 or 25 VCs in the world. They, cap, uh, they have assets under management in the trillions of dollars, right? They have so much capital under management that it is larger than the gross national product of most mid-sized countries, not just small, right? That capital is patient capital capital. They are happy to park it for a good 10 to 20 years. And that's very suitable for this conventional venture capital. Conventional venture capital isn't bad. It's just designed for a very tiny sliver of right. the companies that are launched. We right. And I love that you expand for different companies. Yeah. And that you're okay. expanding a whole totally different approach. Mm -hmm. um, so um, if someone wanted to invest in the master's fund, um, how would they do that? What is your website and how would they find out about it? And, you know, I always say every week that more and more women uh, need to become angel investors. W would you agree? Like there's a lot of women out there that could be angel investors, could be limited partners that aren't. And I really want to use this as a platform to really make them aware of what's out there. How does it work? How do they get involved? How do they learn about it? Yeah. Um, so that's why I appreciate you sharing about the uniqueness of the master's fund today. Appreciate that. Um, angel investors are very early stage investors. They tend to be one-on-one -on -one to the company itself. And they usually have, if you will, an emotional or intellectual connection to the product, the industry, or the person. And that's fine, but it is exceedingly high risk. Most angels never see their money back, if you will. It doesn't mean they never get any exit if they multi, you know, have multiple investments, but they don't get enough back that it covers the full initial investment across all of their investments. And that's really tough. The second piece, though, is uh, joining an angel group. And an angel group can either say it has its own fund and you put your money in there and somebody else makes decisions. And I have done that once and decided that was not a good model for me again, because the decision making process was, how should I say, insufficient due diligence to understand um, the nature of the companies, the nature of the team, whether they could take it to the finish line, all of those things. And so again, no return, no surprises. Um, moving further, though, becoming a limited partner, an LP in a fund makes some sense. If you're going to invest, move up the ladder, ladies, you know, go do that. But 
if you uh, invest in a, a conventional fund again, you are still making that extraordinarily high risk investment. Remember, only about 4% of all VC-backed companies have a happy exit defined as 3x back to their investors or better. That's not a whole lot. The very concept of conventional venture capital is to seek the unicorn. And unicorns, by their definition, are rare. Unfortunately, nothing else really returns anything to the investor. It's insufficient. So you may luck out. That's great. But lucking out is kind of a bad financial plan, especially if you're using a 401k, uh, maybe even philanthropic dollars, uh, any kind of investment uh, you know, capital that you may have. So, so wait, tell us the good news. <laughs> the good news is, again, different funds for different kinds of investors, right? right? So for a, uh, a woman investor in particular, but we are pleased to say we have men in our investment fund. Our very first investor is a guy um, and so on. So we have both men and women who see the opportunity in this sector. Um, so we welcome all. The second thing is usually there's a barrier to entry in getting into a limited partner role in a venture capital fund. And that financial barrier is a pretty high bar, right? So we are forming syndicates, a syndicate of individual investors who can invest a smaller amount, and then the syndicate invests the minimum into the fund. In that, we open the doors to a broader group of investors. Naturally, according to all SEC regulations, you must follow them all. You have to be a qualified investor. In other words, you must not bet the rent money, you know, and that sort of thing. But we see that this kind of investment model, and we have some colleagues doing similar kinds of work. And certainly there's an entire venture debt world around um, venture cap, uh, excuse me, the early stage startup investment world and so on. Those are risk limited or risk mitigated kinds of investment funds. That may be a good place for an individual to begin, right? Seeking the unicorn, it's way cool. It's so sexy. It's so exciting. And it rarely pans out. So we don't talk often enough about the huge risk and huge reward, right? We only talk about the huge reward. Right. And, you know, let's face it, any investment, uh, whether it's real estate or the stock market or bonds or whatever, everything has its risk, right? And women tend to be very risk adverse. But what you're saying is, um, you know, obviously, some people do make a lot of money on the unicorns, for sure. Um, You know, I've had friends put in 25,000, make a million, it is possible, which isn't possible in, you know, bonds or stocks or real estate. But um, I like what you're saying about these syndications. I've been hearing more and more about that, where people can put in a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, like a whole lot less than, you know, becoming an LP in a lot of these venture capital firms that require at least two hundred fifty thousand. So it's great that it's changing and that people like you two are helping to evolve it so that more people can get in the game. Um, so you all have that syndicate option. Uh, you do. Um, people can get a hold of us at partners at masters.bc. And again, it's open to qualified investors. And we're happy to share what that means and send them a qualified investor form to determine that for themselves and so on. Um, right. The SEC is very clear. You must not stand up on soapboxes like this and simply announce to the world, come put your money down. That's not okay. Right. right. And there right. are reasons for that. Some people say, oh, it just, you know, keeps out, if you will, the riffraff and only the wealthy get wealthy. Yes, there's some of that, but there's also a massive risk here. And we must make sure that folks are not betting rent money on an outsized hope 
that they will hit a unicorn. Right, right. And you two are also instrumental in in helping female founded funds get started, right? Yes. Um, Now that's that's one of our goals. And it's actually kind of the the deepest goal, if you will. Um, We if we raise a billion dollars, right, it's great, but it's not game changing. Right. Again, the trillions and trillions of dollars of just 25 funds, never mind all the rest of that stuff. Right. Those kinds of assets are still going from the guys to the guys. Right. So if we raise a whole lot more funds, that would make a difference. So what we are doing is, again, um, giving agency over capital to women who wish to invest and agency over their own, how should I say, their own assets and attributes to those women who want to form a fund. Uh, one of our very first venture partners, uh, we had not even really gotten out of the gate. We had not signed our documents and filed them yet. Um, and she came as a venture partner. We were putting it all together. And then she was telling me, well, now I'm finished with you. Then I'll go and do this over at the other VC fund. And then after about five, 10 years and something, I said, you know, you have the capacity to do it today. You know that you can do this. And she did. She went off and did it and it was brilliant and so on. That was our first, if you will, VC baby. And now we have, is it three or four now, Anne? Three. Three. A a fourth is in the works. Um, I think of us, you know, a spider plant where the the mother puts out a long stem and a little baby pops up and then grows into another spider plant. We want to be the spider plants. Um, We want to inspire other women, particularly women younger than we are, which isn't hard to find, actually. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Be bold enough and Take the opportunity because the opportunity is there. What we are funding is a market gap, if you will, a market anomaly for all the reasons that uh, Jillian described earlier in this podcast. And that market gap is only going to last until we get all these female founded companies funded. Absolutely. A huge opportunity. uh, As you all know, I'm working on a film about this because this is history in the making. What you all are doing is creating historical change in the investment world so that we're not 2%. We're, you know, the 50% or more that we deserve. And the only way is going to be having female started funds. So I'm so glad you're championing these women. In fact, I think I have some to connect you to. uh, Because yeah, yeah, I I really appreciate you bringing that up and, and that that's what you're doing. We need people like you with your amazing backgrounds and your amazing knowledge to help other women start their funds. And I think that's incredible. And I do think we have such a game-changing, great future ahead for women in the investment world, Um, thanks to people like you too. So thank you so much for being a guest. Let's again talk about how people can find you, what's your website, what's your social. You bet. We're at masters.vc. So that's for Sibylla Masters, masters masters.vc. And you can reach us at partners at masters.vc. It'll go to both our email boxes and okay. we'll say hi. We'd love to hear from both investors and of course the entrepreneurs who are seeking that kind of capital. And if we're not a good match, we've got a pretty big Rolodex. It's one of the pleasures of being old, right? So <laughs> we can refer you to our colleagues who invest in very different ways. Great. And are you both, uh, I think you're both on LinkedIn. People can yes. find you both you there. Find us on LinkedIn. I remember looking you up, Anne. I think it's Anne F. Kennedy, right? Yeah. Right. Yep. 
And Julian Musig. I'm the only one. Yeah, M-U-E-S-S-I-G for those that are just listening. Uh, Ladies, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. Uh, Just a reminder to everyone, of course, you can follow uh, me, Catherine Gray, on Invest in Her uh, and Instagram and our She Angel Investors on the other platforms as well. Um, We also have an e-course that we do called uh, Six Ways to Fund Your Business because we try to educate women through all of our multimedia platforms on how to get funding in various ways. Uh, So thank you for tuning in. Thank you so much for your time. I'm honored to have you both on. Uh, Make it a great week, everybody. Remember to invest in her. And remember to check out the Wealthy Women's Summit put on by our podcast sponsor, The Bra Network. Here's a message from their founder, Carrie Murray. I know we've all been to hundreds of conferences, just hearing the word conference and you can picture the lanyard and the name tag and the taste of cold coffee. You wrap up, you post on Instagram, maybe you get a swag bag, you leave thinking, well, now that I'm empowered, what's next? How does this help my growth both personally and professionally? Well, it's time to change things up. It's time to shake things out. Prosperity plus abundance. Flourish plus consciousness. That is the Wealthy Women Summit. Set for August 25th and 26th in the beautiful Long Beach Harbor, right next to the Queen Mary, docked is the Sir Winston Yacht, because nothing says a conference about wealth than a conference that takes place on a yacht. We are going to have panels and speakers and workshops on all the different decks, everything to help you cultivate a life that is more than just wealth meaning the money you have in the bank, but wealth in mind and body, wealth in leadership and growth, wealth in health, wealth in life. We want to provide you with a full experience of living a wealthy lifestyle. Now, I want you to head over to the wewosummit.com website. It's wewo, W-E-W-O, summit.com and use promo code invest to get 15% off your ticket to this very unique experience. See you this summer. Remember, if you're looking to launch a business or grow your business, check out our e-course, Six Ways to Fund Your Business, available at sheangelinvestors.com. Our theme music was created and produced by Lindsay Tomasic.